Welcome to TGE, the podcast, with Tyler, my friend, and myself, Sven. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Sven? Well, didn't you like how we just sort of went into it really casual? Didn't even like, yeah. are we ready? Should we do this? We just went nothing, for it. Nothing takes that casualness away like addressing it. <laughs> nothing. Damn. <laughs> we're, we're so smooth. Aren't we, aren't we just smooth and seamless? I did notice that sometimes you throw something at me and then I just say no. And I realized that's like, that's a bad way to improvise. Like you should always say yes. You should just go with something as opposed to like questioning it or saying, well, that's not what you said before and you're wrong. So, Well, not if I'm saying every, all the lies your lawyer said to Congress are true. You don't just say yes to that. True. Why are you talking <laughs> you about that? <laughs> Is there something that happened? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Could this be the moment? Something we talked about for 30 minutes before the podcast started and both decided, oh, we don't need to talk about it on the podcast. No, we're not going to touch it. But that said, Sven, should we explain what this podcast is? It is usually a podcast about filmmaking and editing, and we look at detailed scenes of iconic movies, look at the craft and the storytelling, and like really take a step back and forget about just absorbing the scene as an audience member. What are some of the crafts elements that are working? Yes, and we're doing it a little differently this week because we're pulling from a film that's just hit Blu-ray. It was just in theaters. It's a front runner, rightfully, for a lot of award nominations. And we couldn't really find a clip that addressed the part of it that we wanted to that relates directly to an experience Sven had working on a project that I helped with for a little bit. So we're going to be doing this much more like a podcast where there's no requisite audiovisual materials. That's right. It's, you can just listen. Just listen. <laughs> Which is going to be a not unique podcast about filmmaking. But uh, I think it's going to be a really <laughs> interesting for this film specifically because it's kind of a hot topic. And we were like looking at some scenes. They weren't really long, weren't really representing. I found one scene that's the opening, like the first 10 minutes. Technically, the opening, there's a scene missing. Um, <laughs> and we just couldn't get really warm with it, even though there's some things we could talk about in terms of pacing and how do you set up a character's journey to get them to that point where like the, the actual adventure starts, the call to action. But mm -hmm. might not be a great representation of the film and what's good about it. So we're going to keep it a little bit more big picture this time. Yeah, and also, obviously, with a filmmaker like Spike Lee, you can pull any scene, and there's going to be something of value to talk about from it. As we saw this week, or in the last two weeks, you were talking about the Your Movie Sucks clip, Sven, that went a totally different direction. Yes, uh, so Your Movie Sucks is by Adam Johnson, who is kind of a cinephile on YouTube. He's based in Vancouver, and he made a one hour and a half video on YouTube comparing <laughs> Old Boy, the original, versus Spike Lee's movie and why Spike Lee basically phoned it in. And he calls it a monumental, cancerous embarrassment. Wow. And I, I watched that, and I really want to, want to recommend you, the listener, to take a look at that video. Once again, that's uh, Your Movie Sucks or YMS old boy if you search for that on youtube you'll find it and it's such a great analysis and it shows that sometimes filmmakers 
maybe phone it in and this time they get they got caught and yeah has to do i mean i watched the film and i was the like the spike lee version and i I wasn't hating it i thought it was an okay movie Mm -hmm. but uh this this sort of opened up my eyes that especially with old boy which is doing so many great things in terms of filmmaking as an international film that's like really opening up the eyes of Americans or anybody to Korean film and international film in general, how, how you can tell amazing stories in a very unique way that's different from Hollywood and how yeah, you then take and that and <laughs> turn it into Hollywood. Well, and has been for decades. His old boy has been around for a while. And it's funny because some Korean films, I'll take The Departed as an example, yeah. or Infernal Affairs, as it was called, have been rendered into very different movies yet that are that are very impactful american hollywood films <laughs> or battle royale being turned into hunger games i'm kind of kidding <laughs> but the irony is that you know old boy is just such a perfect film it's just so amazingly well done that it's a real tall order to remake that and i'm not sure why i'm not sure why remake it but the one thing i will say in spike lee's defense having seen also but not having seen the the year movie sucks video is that with Spike Lee gets torn apart a lot and I'm not sure what the reasons are, but we've, we've addressed different ones on different podcasts, like with do the right thing. But one definite aspect is that when he takes us, when he misses, it's because he's swung really hard at something. I feel like, Mm -hmm. uh, and so lands like really aggressively on his chin. Um, like bat or what, what was the movie battle is or miracle at Santa Ana? Is probably an example of that, um, and yeah, the old boy. It's just it was just like watching nothing. Yeah, he and yet didn't there swing. was, yeah, but there was like a lot of, I don't know, weird, more sophistication to it, I guess, perhaps than you might see in American remake. It's just it's just never ever gonna. It, it's almost like they took it and made it not make sense. Whereas old boy somehow made sense, almost just because of the aesthetic of it. The remake just, it's, I don't know, it's almost like American films feel too much of a need to telegraph what's going on and explain too much. Where old boy, it's like, this is crazy, and you immediately uh, separate yourself from reality. You, ex- you expand your disbelief to just get on board because you just want more of it. Whereas this one, like, and then he didn't eat the octopus, right? Like, what? Yeah. It's, it's very weird. It's very tough, I guess, maybe a tough situation to be in. Like, well, we're not going to take any of the chances of the original, but. Yeah, I just remember when I watched the original, I was really utterly confused for about six to ten minutes, and right. then I was just intrigued, and it like it just came to me where I'm like, oh, this is like this, I've never seen anything like this. How it's it feels supernatural, but it's not. It's all in his head somehow, and it you really just felt the intensity of that character. And yeah. that, that and confusion slash intrigue sort of was taken, stripped away. Yeah, and it, like the battle scenes and everything like that were just, I don't know, Americanized in like the worst sense of <laughs> of the word. They were, they were McDonald'sized and not a McDonald's that anyone wanted to eat. It's almost like people, you know, if the movie made like $500 million, that'd be another thing. But the corners were kind of knocked off of it, which is weird because Spike Lee is nothing but corners. Yep. Right? Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I suspect he sort of just took a job. 
and didn't maybe didn't quite invest himself as a as an artist as much as he should have you can see it in yeah. some of the interviews that adam brings up and again i mean we're sort of just touching the surface here that what's amazing about this video is that mm. the research and detail and insights that he gained from comparing the two movies and that's <laughs> that's what's interesting to me is to oh wow as a filmmaker you really have so much power to make something amazing or not at all and then going further with that is how inside man for example mm -hmm. which is a really incredible movie but it's it's a lot more straightforward in terms of the template he was working with and the stuff he brought to it um it was a very successful very popular film so it's kind of interesting like he it's almost like we were taking something that was like really eccentric like old boy and trying to make it watered down but the guy who is watering it is like the least watered down guy <laughs> working in american films so yeah yeah fascinating added pain and then did you want to talk more about your movie sucks because those it took me a while to 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 get to to discover those videos but the level of editing and skill that goes into those is just mind-boggling in terms of how engaging and fun. Like, the, the experience you can have watching them talking about someone else's work is pretty mind-blowing and becoming pieces of their own. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I can just have admiration for the insights, the detail that Adam brings to it. I feel like when I compare it to my own videos on YouTube, he's, like, in a whole different class. And... um deservedly so i mean he's been doing it for a long time he has a huge following and he's providing so much value to uh understanding films and finding a fun way to do it and how did he learn how to edit that's that's the interesting thing to me because it seems like it's all been just purely through youtube yeah by doing it i assume that's how you learn it most of the time is yeah, and when you go back and look at the really early stuff, the voice is definitely there. Yeah. You know. You edit a lot of stuff and you put it out there. That's the that's the missing piece. It's like put it out there for an audience to f discover and then if the the audience reaction is just not there, it leaves them cold, then you try things. <laughs> and then once you have like, oh, this worked. This little thing that I did here that that elicited an emotion that's when you start to grow and then the other thing is knowing especially when it when he would do movies that were just coming out that he'd just seen and just only working with the footage from the trailers and just the clips that are available yeah. like we have trouble finding clips for black Klansmen. it's amazing how just using that incredibly limited material and reusing it it just never feels stale which is really mind-blowing yeah there are a couple youtubers like this out there that really perfected that form of critique speaking of critique so we had so dennis made another great video for our podcast on get out uh we got some great reactions on that i did notice that we were debating a lot in the podcast whether the tear was real mm. that he was crying and it seemed like people made clear that there was definitive evidence of interviews with jordan peele and i'm kind of remembering back also during the movie's release and the initial publicity, that there was that was like a big draining moment for the actor to deliver that scene, and apparently wanted to. One of the commenters said he wanted to retire from acting after after <laughs> after performing it, which makes a lot of sense. So 
that evidence of Jordan Peele saying that it definitely was real and this and that, even though when I looked at it, I was like, there's no way this is fake and I couldn't believe you would think otherwise. Now I'm completely convinced it is fake. <laughs> and it's all, the more evidence, the less real something is in, in, the, in the modern age of news. Of post-truth. I'm totally kidding. No. I just thought that was interesting. And it's great. That's the fun thing about the podcast is getting the feedback. And we aren't authorities on anything. And so it's very fun to, you know, outsource it and get everyone else's insight and enhance the collaborative aspect yeah. of the online community. I have, a, I have a comment here from James who says, The commentary is excellent, but if you have not seen the movie, it lacks context. If you could show the scene first, then go back and comment and explain... That would be helpful. Well, James, if you read the video description or right, the pinned good. comment or you look at the card that comes up at the beginning of the video where it says, here's the scene without commentary, you could just hit pause and watch the scene first after clicking any of those links and then you could listen to the video. I'm not making fun of you, James. I think you're making a valid point. I just want to stress that yes we are aware that it makes sense for you to see the scene first <laughs> before you listen to our commentary and we're giving you the opportunity to find the scene and that's why we're But doing it this way in terms of finding clips that are available on youtube yeah and if you haven't seen black Klansman, though keep listening it's okay but also I, I'm, i'm glad you said that because i remember seeing that comment and and laughing because i'd seen how like the extent you'd made to because clearly this has been a pet peeve for you for a little while as people not just this whole concept of okay like who said you couldn't stop pause at any point and go watch the scene you know and just making it more and more clear in the pin tweets but i also think it's it's interesting because i i kind of feel like this type of stuff like commentary on the internet has evolved in an interesting way if you'll if you'll go with me on this for a moment mm -hmm. but it seems like it used to be every single person that made a comment on anything was taken as like a valid human being. And this isn't about th this comment. It's just a, a wider thing. Like you could do a comment, anything, and someone could get on and say, the sky is not blue. And that would be taken as like a valid, sensible thing. And trolls started to prey on that because people would have huge reactions to odd comments. And now I kind of feel like it's gotten, there's more of a sophisticated, like people have evolved in terms of their literacy, in terms of comment boards, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Because obviously you can see the stuff that people, people are reading stuff, they're putting comments on stuff, they're responding to stuff, but stuff like that where it's clearly like, oh, he just missed it. You know, like the, the old impulse, and he's probably figured it out since then or moved on to something else, whatever. The old impulse of, oh, I have to say something or let's redirect this guy here. It's just kind of gone. And you know, there's however many thousands of views that video has, you know, thousands of people have read those comments and made that decision of, oh, whatever, he'll figure it out or <laughs> it doesn't matter. Does that make any sense, what I'm saying? I think so. I mean, I can give an example. I made a video early on and made some mistakes in that video. Ironically, the video itself is called Movie Mistakes. Um, how <laughs> continue, does continuity really matter? And every day I get a comment of somebody saying, oh, but the kid at the beginning doesn't hold a bottle from one shot to another. Even though in the video itself i'm pointing it out at the end of the video that's number one number two is there's already a thousand people that made that comment <laughs> that video is right. three years old 
And in the instant of the moment, the person watching is like, oh, I just found something that nobody else found. I'm going to just uh, flag that. And right. So it is it is kind of fun to watch that through. And it's it's also good to like understand, you know, it's not everything's going to be perfect. I don't have to explain every mistake that I made. People will know when it's there. They will call it out and they will call it out over and over again. And that's just part of the process of putting yourself out right. there <laughs> right and maybe we're just maybe it's just that we're lucky because it just seems like when i when i do read the comments for this for the videos that dennis makes for this podcast it just maybe it's just the community and we're just lucky or something but it seems like everyone's really taking stuff in and there's only been a couple of and i used to dread it like oh man the video oh, like i didn't even i forgot there were even going to be comments and then it was like oh comments like let's see let's see this because you're just expecting like the bonkers 70% bonkers and then like five sensible people but it's all they're all like great comments I actually I feel like it's an interaction and that there's a community and I really enjoy being part of it and like reading it and seeing people's point of views on the stuff that that we're looking at yeah yeah and you can't say anything without pissing somebody off doing it and and creating something that is open for critique you just gotta grow a thick skin and stand for something and not everybody's going to stand with you and be okay with that. Yeah. Which I think is another like huge skill that YouTubers are getting in terms of like the, the filmmakers of tomorrow is interacting with reaction and critique and criticism, which is, you know, I mean, a lot of filmmakers, you make a, you, you suddenly you have a thing in Sundance and suddenly it's on a national release. Like you don't know how to process backlash on your next movie and stuff like that where i think this is another huge advantage of just having a response to your work that uh the contemporary filmmakers are going to have the ones that are coming up now yeah anyway speaking of people that elicit reactions we are going to discuss black klansmen yes i recently saw the film and i liked it a lot it was kind of like a real had a real groovy vibe to it, even though it had like this serious backstory to it and some serious themes that are being addressed, um, problems of this country in particular. It felt cool to me. And then I saw the ending and I was like, whoa, where's this coming from? This is awesome, but uh, this looks really familiar um, because I edited a documentary called Outright, the age of rage that is about big portion of it is about charlottesville and the alt-right movement and i saw some of the shots we actually had a camera <laughs> crew there and saw them in that film i'm like okay good it's nice <laughs> um but it definitely definitely took me a little by surprise to see that ending sort of slapped onto it and i think i i liked it what did you think was that how did you feel about that do you did you find out how they got that footage? Well, it's all fair use, so there's no legal issue. They can grab whatever because they're making yeah, a but commentary you said, about a real real life event. The camera, the crew, which was like a legit crew following this stuff before, it, like following this alt right movement before Charlottesville even happened. The yeah. for the documentary you worked on, you said their footage was in Black Klansman. Yeah, I have to I have to qualify it. Um, the truth is there are some shots in our documentary, there are a lot of shots that are also in yeah, Black Clansmen. And in particular, there was one guy who shot 4K footage of the entire event. And mm -hmm. um, so he gave us 
full permission to use it in the documentary. So we're pulling from that. And I think that stuff is also available on the internet. And and Spike well, Lee grabbed it. Okay, so it was stuff that was on YouTube that you found. It wasn't your cruise, it, but it was your cruise footage. We had a crew ourselves, and there are some shots, obviously... I mean, we hadn't put anything out. Our film was basically released in the same week as Black Klansman. Right. Um, so, I mean, I have to go back, but I don't think that particular the crew that we hired for that day, they used. But there's extensive amount of shots that we licensed uh, probably several months before from the guy. So we didn't grab it from YouTube. We, we talked to the guy who shot this and said, hey, can, gotcha. can we use this? Gotcha. And so it wasn't like the the... the Panasonic footage we have on our drives or whatever. Are you referring to Panasonic as being our cameras? Yeah, I'm just throwing one out there. Yeah, probably not. Okay, yeah, that's because that'd be weird to me because <clears throat> that'd be very interesting. But <clears throat> so my reaction seeing it, one, I'm glad that you finally discovered this movie, even though I begged you to watch it <laughs> since it came out when I saw it and saw the alt right, <laughs> the alt right thing at the end of it. Yeah. Sorry. I saw yeah, the you didn't, thing you, at the end yeah, of it. Yeah, you were just saying you got to see the ending, but you didn't tell me why. <laughs> no, I didn't want to spoil it. Yeah. Um, yeah, my reaction seeing it having, you know, at the end of the process of you working on that documentary, sitting with it a lot and getting working with that footage a lot and getting to know it, hearing it a lot, seeing it in a movie theater, which I guess isn't the experience you had, that was really mind-blowing in terms of the soundscape mm-hmm. because it was clearly incredibly created in post-production the the soundscape in black Klansmen for for that documentary footage i mean yep. it was like stereo surround i i'm willing to i'm willing to bet they added sound effects they did for nearly everything including including i want to say the chanting and what they're chanting at the end of Black Klansman, very clearly to me in a movie theater, was Jews will not erase us. But yeah, I, I mean, it's I pulled s- from, the, from the day, from the event. There were chants prior to the accident, Friday night, when they yeah. tried to take over the campus. So, yeah, I mean, it's pulled from different sources. He, Spike Lee used music, like dramatic cinematic music, throughout the entire ending bit. Um, that sort of adds another layer to how you experience it. It feels way more, I don't know, visceral, like doomsday. Yeah, you feel a little bit more like the filmmaker's hand there. Like, mm-hmm. I want to say heavy-handed, but it felt like you're being guided to feel a certain way. When we did the documentary, I mean, I played, I used all the tricks that I could to make you feel the same way, mm-hmm. which is maybe right. a little bit more sneaky and manipulative in a way your move or theirs my move oh right because it's it less like it's not manipulated but it totally uh, yeah it's less obvious i mean i want to speak for the film but yeah but i mean obviously we all have the intention to represent which is is a historical event in a way that it factually actually happened and so we have that definitely to uphold yeah and yet to make it seem that the alt-right movement was at all in the right it would take a disgusting amount of manipulation in and of itself you know like it doesn't take a lot to to portray them in a negative light yeah if that's what you're saying yeah it wasn't like you had to pull some dirty tricks or like it's inexcusable and awful and that's that you know i mean adding that kind of i guess emotional impact of it is maybe where the manipulation 
comes into it? Yeah, I, that's a really interesting question because when I took on the project, when I interviewed with the director, he showed me the film that he directed before this, which is The New Radical, which I think is an incredible documentary he did. And part of why I was so intrigued by it is because he's showing two characters that are somewhat, you could judge them for what they're doing. And he really tried to stay away from disclosing how he felt about them. It's all about the guy who who did a 3D gun and put the plans on the internet and Mm -hmm. how he's being sued by the government. And you really, when you watch The New Radical, you don't know how the filmmaker feels about this. He's just giving you Mm. the story and leaves it up to you to figure out whether is this unconstitutional, is this right, or is this wrong. And so going into making a documentary about the alt-right, we sort of had that same aspiration to just let those guys hang themselves in a way or let them (laughs) state their case and then show the other side, show the experts to do that. I don't know if we really succeeded in making everybody feel like it's a fully balanced documentary because we felt like we there's certain things we just can't let them get away with. We need to we need to put it in context. So, I still think it's a very like it's it you really get all the information that you need and you need you are able to form your own opinion on this, but you might know where we stand. Well, I mean, putting it in context is you it's keeping it objective, I think, because it's just showing the truth, right? If someone walks in and lies and you show that that is a lie, that's, I think, being objective, not being manipulative. Right, right. But sometimes it's like uh, the main character on the alt-right side who people might know. He's the guy that got Uh, punched. He's the Nazi (laughs) that got punched. And so there's a lot of things that he says where you're like, oh, really? Oh, I didn't think about this. But then you immediately have to put it in context and you have to have like an extremism expert show you the data and say, well, if you really believe the ethnostate is a great idea, (laughs) uh, see what happened in Pakistan and how many people died there and just pull that up and play a scene of that to see what that means if you say, okay, everybody that's white is going to be on the left side, everybody that's not white is going to be on the right side, and it's going to be all great. It's not going to be great. It's a recipe for murder. And so you have to you have to take that in consideration when you're making a film like this. And I think Adam, Ooh. the director, really made great choices in making sure that that film can stand. Yeah, and just to clarify, I don't think from what you're saying, there's a way to interpret what you just said is, he said an ethnostate was a good idea, and you were like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. No, I highly no. doubt that happened. But um, I also remember there's one part, like I don't even know if it takes, it takes that much like research or you know, insight to realize that's a stupid idea because their whole thing is like, you pick, like you pick what part you want. Like just tell us, <laughs> tell us what part we can have. It's like, okay, do you want the desert? Like you'll just go to the desert like that's fine we can have like an ethnosate but it's really just a way to trick the white supremacists into going to the desert i mean i'm i'm for it (laughs) just get all of america and they just get because that was one of the things their big thing is like you can pick it's like really it matters that much like do you want to just live in the ocean like under it like that's fine 
we'll go for it. Or Antarctica? Why don't you have Antarctica, geniuses? Yeah. But it's it's important to look at this ideology and to expose it, to put some context there, and then have people be aware. Awareness is really... I think that's the that's the side benefit of what we're going through the crisis that we're going through right now is that we really talk about things that we didn't think about a couple of years ago. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a very impactful, important, horrifying documentary, and you know, even more horrifying to sit with for I think almost an entire year. Or how long did you work on it? Uh, yeah, I mean the cut the cutting itself was maybe like six months. We really had to get a head start because we were the documentary was about more than charlottesville charlottesville happened and we just happened to be there so it then became Mm -hmm. a center piece of the film and it also sort of threw us off schedule because then we needed to to rush the project which i've also read was a similar experience to what Spike Lee had in terms of the production schedule and these events like the film had been planned and these events certain elections and stuff were happening within that Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense like they would they discovered stuff and I think you're saying it feels tacked on I think that probably goes some way to to explain it because I think there's a lot of stuff in Black Klansmen a lot of stuff like lines that are clearly targeted just directly at the the current uh, world and administration in the united states specifically Uh, supposedly not all that was just just indirect reaction to it a lot of that was just like happened to be a correlation and then there were just more and more and more and they couldn't take it and then that ending got that got put on there yep just to kind of show where we are and keep contemporary which is ironically i've heard a similar thing to what happened on the movie vice you watch it assuming fully that it was made directly in reaction to the current administration. And yet Adam McKay, I heard an interview that it, you know, they were like scouting it (laughs) during the election. Um, And he never would have thought that Hillary wasn't going to (laughs) win was completely blown away. So it had been planned well, well before that. So I interpreted what he said. Yeah. We should talk about vice in the future. There's a there's a documentary that's another documentary you worked on at the end of Vice, so you should really see it. Oh, okay, will do. <laughs> Just kidding. Is <laughs> the Ghost well, of the cool. Abyss? I think yeah, this yeah, it's the Ghost of the Abyss <laughs> at the end of Vice. The the sound. Um, so the th- the thing I was going to say that uh, in watching the theater was no matter how many times I watched that clip and had to source it and subtitle, but I I because there's a heavy anti-Semitic theme in Black Klansmen. Yeah. Um, and I, I always thought all those marchers were saying, you will not erase us. I could have sworn that's what, that's what they were saying. And saw that probably a hundred times in, in different angles and all this different stuff when they were marching on uh, Charlottesville. Yep. I thought they were saying, you will not erase us. Instead but of, they were saying, yeah, go Jews ahead. will not erase us? That's crazy. And no, I, I looked it up. Like, that's confirmed. I just didn't know until I heard the clean sound in the movie theater that that's what it was, which is amazing because, I mean, what the... I mean, I don't know. I, I guess that there's no point in getting inside what their reasoning is. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing that I thought felt really real in Black Klansmen is, like, some of the meetings that they were having, like, in the basement, the way that they were mm-hmm. talking and the racist comments they were making... 
we had that same experience with the documentary now when we we were in 2017 sitting in those meetings same comments and i also remember that during charlottesville we were like from the far distance across the parking lot the camera was um picking up a conversation between richard spencer and david duke and spencer was miked and he was like they were talking about trump and how things are going and David Duke kept saying to him, yeah, what do you expect? It's not going great because uh, Trump surrounded himself with all these Jews. <laughs> and so we like, I'm, I'm, I don't know, but Spencer was like trying, well, you shouldn't be talking about this right now. Let's just like forget about this. And um, so we use it in documentary. But then also they, Trump defended the march also. Right. That's the crazy thing. Like, I, I guess maybe I'd, I mean, of course, I mean, <laughs> again, <laughs> we're not going to get into it, but I can't, I just can't believe that it was that, like, they were defending, like, I thought his whole angle was, you know, like, well, we got to preserve history. It's like, well, this isn't even history, you know, as the, as the documentary shows, the statute is being protected. Yeah. You know, it was put up well, well, well after any historical significance should be attributed to it. And then, it, but the, yeah, I, this pro- podcast probably isn't the place to get into my reaction to <laughs> to not realizing. Did you yeah. know the entire time, though, that they were saying Jews will not erase us? I feel like they, there were different things they were saying. One of oh, them is okay. you will not replace us. And the other one, okay. one is so that, Jews will not erase us or vice versa. Okay, so that's the thing that threw me is I feel like for they really obviously went heavy into looping Jews will not erase us and Black Klansmen, and it almost sounded like it was re-recorded even. Yeah. Um, I, I'll go that far, just because I know what the original audio quality was. Yeah. Who knows what they had, though, you know, but it sounded very professional. So, okay, so good. So there's a thing, but they're, so I'm not completely insane, and they were saying you. Yeah. I feel bad for people listening to this that are... And they, uh, I mean, they were also sh- shouting blood blood and soil and clansmen they were using the same chants in in some of the rallies in the 70s and mm-hmm. so to realize oh this we've been here before yeah this is not new messaging these these are not new words they're picking up the same words over and over again make america first again is something that david duke uses in his speeches before trump was even on the apprentice uh, <laughs> right yeah Making those connections, I think, was really, really powerful. Yeah, and it was cool having that connection to it, having worked on all that stuff and just being way too familiar with the Charlottesville events in terms of the alt-right side of it because of the documentary. So to just see that stuff, just see that stuff being kneaded into the film as it moved along was pretty amazing. I was like, oh man, this is just like, and then at the end they're like, yeah, we know. Like, here's another, <laughs> here's a mini Charlottesville movie. It was pretty, in- it was pretty uh, in- interesting to see also. Yeah. Should we see um, and figure out a way if we can talk about the filmmaking of Black Klansman, the craft? No. Like, <laughs> I think what we should do is we should do it later on, like with another clip. You know what I mean? Okay. Return so, to it. What scenes do you think would be good scenes to look at if we if we find them down the road? All right. So this is the end of it. This is the end end of a podcast about 
film editing, which we did talk about at the beginning to some extent. We got a little absorbed in our own experiences, but it was an, it's an important resonant film for us Black Klansmen. It's a great film. It's very much worth, worth seeing, worth talking about, worth discussing, and it has Kylo Ren in it. <laughs> so, you know, we wanted to... What we're going to do is use this as a preface to talk about the editing of a scene in Black Klansmen later down the line. If you have one that you'd like, that you recommend, that you think would be good to look at in terms of the aesthetic of it, because there's so much amazing aesthetic stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm I'm ready to go. I can talk about some stuff. We just need a yeah. scene. <laughs> yeah, so, so, le- so let us know. We hope that you enjoy the audio-only podcast. If you enjoy what you're hearing normally, uh, let a friend know about the podcast um, if you enjoy this type of, of content, we're going to have to work on some more documentaries so we can talk about them more. <laughs> I don't know. We fully understand this is a movie podcast, and that is what it will continue to be, we promise. Next week, we're coming back yes. strong with a movie. Yeah, we'll, we'll haul and drive. We'll do European Disney. Vacation, too. Now, what is it? Las Vegas Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vegas Vacation is the one we joke is just waiting in the when we really strike out. Next time. Um, you know, if you enjoy the podcast, let a friend know about it. But I'll also add... If you are offended because you are a member of the alt-right, we don't need you listening to the podcast, and please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Well, I like it. You're taking a stand, and you're standing for something. If you don't stand for something, nobody can stand with you. Just make it's sure you stand easy. for the right thing. And we'll, we'll determine what that is week to week for you. Exactly. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate how word has been spread about the podcast. We appreciate how it's grow- going. We, we really, we, we gain from the conversation uh, in the comment boards on YouTube. And where else can they comment, Sven? Thisguyedits.com slash comment. It takes you to Reddit, to our very special, very own This Guy Edits sub Reddit. S- suggest some movies. Share some insights. Let us know a scene from Black Klansman that's available on YouTube that we can do. If it's not 30 seconds long, followed by a trailer, and we will we will do it. We thank Kurta for the music, and as Sven has always said, happy editing. Was that were we done? I feel like it got cut, but I think it had to. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we were done. I mean, I don't know how successful of a podcast <laughs> this was. I, I mean, I, I feel like I talked about everything I wanted to talk about, big picture. So that's good stuff. But yeah. we might be very low on filmmaking craft takeaways. Well, the beginning was very heavy on it. So okay, what was the beginning? I don't even remember. <laughs>